Good morning. My name is Brian Hoover. I'll be reading the scripture today from 1 Peter chapter 2. You'll find that in the Pew Bible on page 953. Or you can follow along on the screens. So we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from, from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is God's word. Well, good morning. It's good to be together. Uh, we are going to be in 1 Peter 2, so if you uh, haven't already opened up your Bibles, please do so or scroll through your phone, uh, perhaps. But before we jump in, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we come to you and we are thankful, Lord, that you welcome us as we are. We come to you with uh, no matter what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we've done, uh, we come to you by the means of your grace as we gather together. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we ask that you would penetrate it into our hearts, Lord. You know each one of us, each one that's here this morning. We pray that you would teach us what we don't know, show us what we don't see, expose in us what is hidden, that you might speak to us, and give us a word that we need to hear, each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Well, we're walking through a series on the church. So far, we've seen the grand story of God's plan to redeem the world through Jesus Christ and how we personally are caught up into that. Last week, Ben helped us see Jesus Christ as the king over all things and the supreme head of the church. This morning, we continue with asking the question, what is the church and why does it matter? I wonder what you think of the church. Maybe you delight in the church. It's been a safe haven for you, a place of rest and transformation. Maybe, uh, like me, you grew up in the church. I still remember sneaking out of bed in the evening to look down on my dad teaching their Bible study in our living room. 
the aroma of decaf coffee filled the air. And it felt meaningful to me. It feels meaningful to me. But I wonder if some of you are bored with the church. Maybe church means a Sunday morning of stale obligation. Or maybe it's just an avenue to earn God's love. So it ends up making you tired. Maybe the church is the place where you've sustained your deepest wounds. Maybe you look at the church across our country, maybe even across the world, and you're grieved. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're apathetic and anxious because she looks a whole lot like the world. The church was meant to be different, set apart from the world. The word in the Bible for that is holy. Peter calls the church a holy nation. And so why is it that it seems like the church has the same problems that the world does? The same leadership abuses, the same broken friendships, disillusionment, divorce rates, sexual ethic, the same divisiveness, the same individualistic tendencies, the same empty promises of health and wealth. Why is it that some Christians find their non-Christian friends to be more interested and invested in their lives than their church community? Why is it that for both those inside and outside the church, the church has been not a beacon of good news, but one that wounds, one that mongers fear and despair in the world? Why is it that the church tends to either remain a pious enclave, detached from the darkness of the world, or an army who wages war with the world through condemnation and despair. Why? In short, because the church has forgotten who she is. The bride has forgotten who she is. The church has drifted from her true and glorious identity. It's our natural default to live with spiritual amnesia. Personally, and corporately. And in 1 Peter 2, Peter declares to the church her identity. As the people of God, he declares to you, Community Evangelical Free Church, who you are in Jesus Christ. Who are we? We are a chosen people, a treasured people, and a changed People sent out into the world with good news of great joy, news that has the power to light up the darkness. Number one, we are a chosen people. In verse 9 of 1 Peter 2, which we'll be spending most of our time in, verses 9 and 10, in verse 9, Peter reminds the church of her identity using four titles. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession. This is who we are as the body of Christ. As we've already gotten glimmers of this morning, Peter is borrowing language from the Old Testament here. Ben read a passage for us in Exodus 19 along those same lines. We see very similar language in Deuteronomy 7. So if you would spend a moment and turn to Deuteronomy 7. We're going to be in verses 6 to 8. I think it's a meaningful enough passage and 
a passage that links with our passage so significantly that to look at it, I think, is really important. And the people of God here are being called to remember who they are. They're being called to remember where they came from. They're being called to remember whose they are. So in Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 8, this is what we read. For you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the house, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The Israelites were stuck in slavery to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the power-hungry, controlling, we might say narcissistic leader of Egypt at the time, they had no hope of freedom or the prospect of things getting any better They were an unimpressive people, weak, small, preeminently forgettable. But the Lord set his heart on them for no other reason than his own choice, his past promises, and his heart to redeem. There was nothing in the Israelites that cost his love or empowered his mighty hand. But when God sets his will to do something, consider it done. So it was with their deliverance. All they had to do was bank their lives on his word and wait for his rescue. Peter is applying the story of what God did for the people in Exodus to what Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection. It's like Peter saying, do you see what happened back then? Well, that's what's happened to you. That's what God has done to you. Though there was nothing in you to prompt him to deliver you from your darkness, in Jesus Christ, he has set his heart upon you. He's set his heart upon us. He's chosen You, he has set his will to free you from the back-breaking burdens of the idols that you have loved and the idols that you may continue to love. All we must do is receive his rescue by faith and give thanks. And he has not chosen you in a vacuum. You've been chosen into a people. Peter says, once you were not a people, But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a chosen race. A holy nation. What does it mean that we are a race and a nation? Well, these words are very similar. It means that we are literally a new kind of people. A new species of human being. The church is a new ethnicity in the world, with a new history, a new past, and a new future, one that is most fundamentally defined by what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. 
I've spoken before about uh, the ministry that I served at in New Hampshire, devoted to welcoming and walking with men and women from the addicted community in New England. And I remember a very special moment when I was there serving. I was sitting with one of our men. He had come out of some of the worst kind of addiction. Enslaved. Lived on the streets. In bondage. And at our ministry, we often played a lot of really cheesy group games. So imagine like battleship volleyball. Sounds really intense. It's actually really not intense. But we played all these sorts of games, and I was standing with him one night, and we were watching this game. Quite a different environment than he was used to. And I looked over, and he was tearful. And I inquired, and he just said, I'm just glad to be here. And I knew that he didn't just mean being right there and then. He was glad to be alive. He was glad to be a part of a new community that loved him, that wasn't bent on stealing from him, but giving to him. The Lord had saved his life and welcomed him into God's people where he was cherished. And he knew he had not deserved it. Far from it. He was humbled by grace. He had been chosen and his heart melted with quiet gratitude. Now you may not have lived on the streets. I would venture to say that you probably haven't been on the brink of death, but that is your story. That is our story. In Jesus Christ, we have been rescued from death. You have been rescued from death, and in him you are no longer bound to the guilt and shame of your past. You're no longer bound by the wrongs that you walk in with today. Even the wrong that you have done on your way to church this morning or the wrong that you have done in your home last night, all of it has been swallowed by the gracious heart of God. Church, remember who you are. Remember where you came from. Give thanks for he has called you out of darkness, the darkness of sin and death into the marvelous light of his gaze. We are a chosen people, and we are a treasured people. A little over a year ago, our daughter was born, and she is a delight to my wife and I, as you might imagine. We are grateful to be be a part of raising a new human being in the world and seeing what she will become, who she will become, but she's more than just a human being, right? Right? She's more even than just a little girl. She's even more than just a daughter. She is our daughter. And to her, I am not just a father. I am her father. In some ways, we belong to one another. She is mine. And I am hers. And it makes me glad. Now, you may not have children, but all of us are children. All of us have a mother and a father. They're not just another man or woman, right? They are your parents, as are your siblings or even your friends. They are special to you, set apart from everybody else, treasured 
And you're set apart from everyone else to them. Our identity is in large part defined by those we love and those who love us. Those to whom we belong, our community, our family. That is where we remember who we are. And the story of the people of God is something similar. In 1 Peter 2, Peter's reminding us that not only have we been chosen and set apart as a new people, we are also a people for his own possession. Once again, Peter's borrowing language from Exodus 19, which was already read, and Deuteronomy 7, which we read just a few moments ago. The people of God were being reminded in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 in particular, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, God owns everything. In Psalm 50, Verses 10 to 11, the Lord declares, Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. Everything belongs to God. The little mayfly during the summer that my one-year-old daughter became transfixed by for over an hour belongs to God. The sun, moon, and stars belong to God. His people belong to him, but his people are special. In the same way that, say, I, I own a road bike, and it is dear to me, and yet my daughter is far more treasured than my road bike, right? We, to the Lord, are a treasured possession. To be chosen by God is to belong to God. God says to his people, I will be your God and you shall be my people. He says, I am yours and you are mine. We have a new identity. We got a new name in Jesus Christ. His. Together. We are no longer condemned, but cherished by God. Therefore, Peter can call the church a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. We have been redeemed in such a way that like priests, we have access to the presence of God. Even more, he has come down and dwelled with us. Dwelled in us. But we don't need to sacrifice lambs and goats to be found in that identity. We need only approach the throne of grace with empty hands washed in the blood of Christ. We are his beloved, no longer slaves, but royal sons and daughters together. If in Christ we belong to God, then we also belong to one another. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. To be a Christian is to belong to the body. The whole body and in some way each part. This is what it means to belong to the church. In Christ you are not just an acquaintance or even a friend 
of mine. You are more than that. Each one of you, you are my brother. You are my sister. And I am your brother. We are loved by the same Lord and graced by the same God. And in that, we are unified. Whether we live that way or not, we are one and held together in his hands. In Christ, you are no longer alone. When you are grieving, you are not alone. When you're stuck in sin, you're not alone. When you are exhausted and burdened, you are not alone. So don't try and go it alone. But turn to the Lord by turning to God's people. Find a home in the church. Just recently, I have seen someone find a home in the church and receive Amazing amounts of blessing, grace. Welcome one another as God has welcomed you. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. That together we belong to the same Lord who has purchased us by grace, that he might have us as his own and make us new. Make us something beautiful. We are a chosen people. We are a treasured people. And we are a changed people. Imagine for a moment what it's like to join a new community or a new group. One with purpose. Say like a workout gym, perhaps. Now, some of you may have never done that. But it's quite an endeavor. This isn't one For the sake of imagination, this isn't one of those gyms like Planet Fitness where you walk in and hop on an elliptical and maybe do your workout for about 30 minutes, then leave without talking to anyone. Not a gym like that. This is a communal kind of gym, one where you're known by the owner and you train with a group of people week after week. What happens when you join? You change. At least if you stick it out. Your schedule changes. Your disciplines change. Your diet might change. Your body might change. Your heart might even change. And as you grow to love that place, you begin to sing its praises to others and show what it did for you. Maybe even gathering some converts. When you are chosen and welcomed into the people of God, you change. Your identity changes, and your character changes, and the song you sing changes. What you do and what you proclaim is something different now. The love of Jesus has created a new love in you. We have a new joy and delight, a new song to sing, a song of good news to a world of bad news. Are we, new, are we known as a good news kind of people? Both with our words and with the way we live? The church's conduct before a watching world says something about Jesus. We've been given the opportunity to give the world flesh and blood examples of the character of our Savior. And it's in this way that we are to be distinct, holy, We've been made holy by grace 
And we are called to be holy by grace. Peter speaks to this in verses 11 to 12. Hear his words. In verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter calls the church to walk honorably before the world, so that even when we are slandered or hated, that we might not be hated for sinful things, and even more, that, that we might woo people with our holy character. The church should bear the character of Christ in his holiness, his humility, his grace, perseverance, integrity, and in his joy. As people who have received radical grace, we ought to be a people of radical gratitude, humbled by God's grace given to us. As people who have been forgiven, we ought to be a people who forgive in abundance. And are eager to bear with the weaknesses of others. As those who belong to one another, we should be able to disagree in a way that's different from the world. Because we belong to one another, we can hold on to one another in the tension of conflict. Because we're bound by something greater than our own opinions. And when we disagree like that, we can actually learn something from one another from someone who thinks differently than we do and walk away better for it. The cherishing heart of God for us in Christ ought to create in us a delight to serve, to protect, to provide for one another. The welcoming heart of Jesus ought to create a radical inclusivity in which differences are not barriers to fellowship. Consider for a moment, is your community of church friends open to welcoming others that are different from you? On a Sunday morning, do you only talk to your friends, paying no mind to that person who's sitting right next to you who you have never met? The church is called to warm welcome and dignifying love the love of Jesus should make the church the safest place on earth where the vulnerable are protected. Leaders lead with humility, integrity, and a willingness to admit their own failings. There should be safety in the church to come into the light with our sinfulness and shame and repentance. There should be safety to lovingly challenge one another in our character and to receive accountability as it's given in love. There should be safety to talk about our broken marriages with trusted friends. There should be safety to talk to trusted friends about struggles with your sexuality. That they might sit with you as you pursue truth and the strength to walk in purity. The gospel changes everything about us. It makes us look like Christ. It makes us look attractive, beautiful, in such a way that magnifies the beauty of Jesus. 
But we don't just demonstrate the transforming power of Christ. We declare it. We sing a new song. We have something new to say to the world. Church, you've been purchased that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The only one who could change us as he has. As the people of God, we've been chosen for a purpose. If you are a Christian, you're a preacher. You may not stand up here on a Sunday morning, but you do go out into the world, called to proclaim. And after all, we proclaim what we love, right? What we consider worth sharing. Just look at a person's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram feed, and you will see what they love. What do you love? What do you regularly praise before others? We have been cherished by the Lord of all, called out of the shadows of sin and death, forgiven. The grave has no hold on us because our Savior not only called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, he descended into darkness. He descended into the darkness of death and rose again in marvelous light. Light that shines upon us and shines through us into the world. As the church, we proclaim the excellency of the king who became a servant. The shepherd who became a lamb. The savior who is the preeminent example of grace and welcome. The truly holy one who invites anyone into his grace. Anyone who would fall at his feet and call him Lord as king, he will build his church. And the gates of hell will not triumph over it. This is the gospel we praise. This is the savior we portray that the world might see the only light in the darkness. And how do we become a community like this? We remember who we are. You are a chosen people, a treasured people, and a changed people sent into the world with good news of great joy, news that has the power to light up the darkness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for that good news of grace that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, help us to praise as your people. Help us to praise you before the world. Help us to walk in the holiness that you have created within us. Help us to remember who we are, that we might be different, and that the world would know you as Lord of all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.